as we enter into worship, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time where we can look at your word. We thank you for your spirit that inspired these writers to write what they wrote and how your Holy Spirit continually speaks to us through the writings here. Father, I thank you that as we are uh, entering into, or as we're moving towards Easter, we thank you that you are preparing our hearts through the, the readings we are having. Lord, I pray that as we um, look at the word, will you open our hearts and our minds to what you have to say to us? Lord, I pray that if there's anything hindering us between, that is between us and you before we enter into this time, may you just be gone. May you just forgive us and, and take it away so that we can receive the fullness of what you have for us this morning. Lord, and I pray that you will take my, my words and fill them with your Holy Spirit because I want them to be the words you want spoken. I don't want it to be about me, but about you. We love you and we trust you. We want your will in this time. In your holy name. Amen. All right. We are going to be in John chapter 3 this morning. So if you want to start making your way that direction, um, we'll be reading uh, from John chapter 3 in just a moment. Um, it's interesting uh, that as I was studying for this, I had a different direction planned most of the week. I was um, planning on really focusing on the Nicodemus uh, story uh and the rebirth that we're going to look at here. Uh, but on Friday morning, I was sitting at home with my kids as Kyle was doing his schoolwork, and I was rereading and kind of just going through what I had been preparing, and I just, God sort of said, really stuck something out at me. You know, it's the Holy Spirit. That's what He does. You can reread the same passage multiple times, and all of a sudden something new just pops at you. And that's what happened on Friday morning, and, and God very well, very much said, I want you to go this direction this morning. And so, because you're second service, we have had time to change the title on the screen, but on your bulletin, it's not going to say give and send, instead it says rebirth. But it's because God had a different direction for this morning. So, um, we're going to go this way instead of what I originally planned. Um, just a little... Preview as far as why that is different, if you did notice. So John chapter 3 is the story of, or at least the beginning of John chapter 3, is the story of Jesus and Nicodemus. This is a very common story in the in the scriptures. A lot of people know this story. Um, G, uh, Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and he... Um, kind of follow Jesus' career, and many of the different things Jesus said sparked Nicodemus's interest. And he didn't know exactly what to think of it. Uh, he, just, uh, he just needed to know more. And so at the beginning of chapter 3 through, uh, really, 15, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and asks him some questions. He wants to know... Um, uh, basically, how do we uh, know that we are in right relationship with God? Uh, and the Jewish belief was that if if you followed the law and you did the right things in the right order and you and you made sure to check every check box on the list, you were going to be fine. And Jesus gave Nicodemus an answer that he was very much not prepared for. 
Jesus replies uh, in verses 3 by just basically saying, no one will see this, the kingdom of God unless they have been born again. And this really throws Nicodemus. He doesn't understand at all. We understand, in hindsight, we, looking back at this, have the scriptures to un- unfurl it for us, but uh, Nicodemus didn't. He didn't understand what it meant. And he replies to Jesus in that way. He says, how can a man who is as old as I am be reborn again out of his mother? Like, that's just impossible, right? And Jesus says, no, 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 Nicodemus. I don't mean physically reborn. I mean, you must be reborn um, of the water and of the Spirit. Because if you're reborn that way, then you have the ability um, to see the kingdom of God. We're going to jump a little and we're going to move down to verse 14, because this is where we're really focusing on today. So if you want to follow along with me, this is where we're going to be reading. Verse 14 through verse 21. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have ever have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he, they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness because, or instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for the fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what you have, what they have done has been done in the sight of God. The word of the Lord. Okay. So Nicodemus wanted to know how it is you were reborn. And so Jesus goes into this um, explanation of, of belief in him, really. And he starts, um, we started with that verse, verse 14, where it talks about Moses instead of Jesus, which might be a little confusing for some of us. It says Moses lifted up a snake in the wilderness, and that's going to be just like the Son of Man being lifted up. If you don't know the story of Moses with the snake on a rod, then you're not going to understand the reference that, John, or that Jesus is talking about when he talks about the Son of Man being lifted up. This is a reference to Numbers chapter 21. It's a little um, excerpt out of that chapter where the Israelites are in the wilderness. They are, they're not super happy with what's going on. They're really uncomfortable. Um, things were not going the way they sort of expected. I don't know what they expected when they left Egypt, if they thought it was going to be like sort of a pleasure walk to get to the free land, but but they are not happy with how things have gone. Um, so much that they're grumbling uh, and saying that they would rather go back to Egypt. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being so uncomfortable in freedom that they would rather be back in their comfort zone 
of bondage. I mean, now, the pastor in me is screaming, hey, there's like a 35-minute sermon right there. We could just go there. But that's not what we're going to talk about. Uh, But they're so uncomfortable with the process of getting to where God is taking them that they would rather go back to being slaves and knowing what is going to be happening. They're complaining because they don't have enough, they don't have any bread and they don't have any, um, any water and they're having to eat this weird manna stuff that's not really food, but it's, you know, it's what God's providing them and they don't really like it. And God hears them and he sends venomous snakes into their camp and the snakes start biting the people who are grumbling. So when you start grumbling, Just think, why do I have so many rattlesnakes in my property this year? (laughs) I got to keep that in mind because we have rattlesnakes a lot on our property and I want that. (laughs) Okay, so God sends these snakes in. People start getting bitten and many people die. And the, the people have a reflection moment and they realized, hey, this might be because we're grumbling. And they go to Moses and they say, Moses, please, please pray to God and ask him to take away the snakes. So Moses goes and he prays to God and he says, will you please take the, the people have repented, please take the snakes away. And it's really interesting because God doesn't take the snakes away. He doesn't take them away. They stay. But he tells Moses, Make a snake out of copper and put it on a pole and stick that pole up high in the air. And anybody who gets bitten by a snake can then come and look upon the pole and in their belief, they will be saved and not die. It's interesting that he doesn't take the snakes away. It's kind of that like control valve of making sure they don't grumble anymore, right? They still have to deal with the fact that the snakes are there. But they now have hope that if they get bitten, they can go to the pole, they can look upon the snake, and they will be free, or they'll be saved. But you see, it's not because of the snake that they're saved. It's because of the belief that they have in the God who put the snake on the pole that their, that their, um, their lives are saved, okay? That is really important about what concludes this sentence where Jesus tells him that so too the man, the son of man must be lifted up. Now, the son of man is Jesus, and he's going to be lifted up. It's going, it's an interesting terminology here because we often think of Jesus being lifted up in exaltation and in praise, and it's really, it, it really denotes glorification, that he's going to be lifted up in glorification. But what it's signifying is the crucifixion. It's weird to think that his death, his torture and death on a cross is his glorification. Because we often talk about the, the glorification of Christ after the resurrection. We don't normally talk about it as part of the crucifixion. But for John, those two things are linked. The, the crucifixion and the resurrection are all one event that bring about the glorification of God, or glorification of Jesus in this situation. So Jesus will be then lifted up onto a cross like the snake was for the Israelites and anyone who believes in him will not just have life but have everlasting life. There's a hope there 
Because it's not just that they won't die, but that they're going to live forever with him. This is, it's interesting, John's writing, because this is about the point where the story of Nicodemus just sort of ends. They don't really have any conclusion to it. Because it shifts into the narrator talking here, which is John. And he goes into talking about what is probably the most quoted Bible verse in the world. Uh, John 3.16, everyone knows what it is. You know, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Everyone knows it. We don't have to write it out. We can just pull up a big sign at a, base, at a football game that says John 3.16, and people are supposed to know what that means. Side note, I don't think everybody knows what John 3.16 means. I don't think they understand it. They might be able to say it. They might even be able to say, they might say some of it. They might know all of it, but I don't think they understand it always, what it means. So, God so loved the world, and this term world in Greek is cosmos, and it is, um, it, in this particular sense, references the entirety of creation. But throughout the book of John, the word world is often denoted to be those people who do not believe in the Father or do not believe in Jesus. So they're the unbelievers. So God so loved the world, creation, all those who reject him, that he gave his only son. In the book of John, God does not have a lot of verbs. God's talked about in a lot of different ways. He the, the, it references his, um, his son giving and doing and lots of things, but it, it doesn't reference God actually doing many things. It, re- it references just God being most of the time when a, when a verb is attributed to God. But in this case, God is giving. He's, he's giving. And, and that is important because he's doing it. It's not just it happened. He, he personally is giving away his son. And then verse 17 goes, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I think that often uh, people outside of the church don't, don't have a very good view of who God is. They, they believe that God is a is a God who sits there and he's often kind of angry and he's looking for ways to get them for the bad things that they've done. They don't understand often the love side. They don't understand his love. They think that he's out there to condemn them for their wrongdoing. And we as the church are doing better at not portraying that as our, as, um, who God is. But for a long time, I think in the past, the church did give a portrayal right, of the fire and the brimstone type preaching where, you know, if you're wrong, then you're, you're damned to hell. So you better, you better get right so you won't be. And there's truth in that, but I think the way that we, we told that truth really painted it not as a message of hope, but a message of fear, right? And so... I think verse 17 is just as important as verse 16. 
Because it reminds us that God didn't send Jesus to come down and to judge the people and say how wrong they were or how evil they were, but he came down because he wanted them to be saved. He didn't want them to be condemned. He didn't come to condemn. He came to free them from condemnation. It's it's an interesting dif- differentiation there because the problem is, is that we as people who are not with God are already condemned. It says that in verse 18. Anyone who does not believe in Jesus is already condemned. Not that at the end of all things, when we stand in front of the judgment day, that then you'll be condemned. We all stand in condemnation already because we stand against God. But the thing that is so important is that God doesn't want that. He wants you to not be in condemnation. He wants you to be set free through the love and the grace He offers through the death and resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ. When we believe in Jesus, we have hope that we are no longer standing in condemnation. We are free of that condemnation. We get to stand in the light and be set free. But that is scary for somebody who doesn't understand that. And I think that too often the world is just really afraid of coming out of the darkness. John goes on to talk about how the world hates the light. They love the darkness because most of the time the darkness conceals their secrets, conceals the sin and the wrong and how broken they are. And if they come into the light, then they have to see it. They have to deal with it. They have to let other people know about it. And that terrifies a lot of people. And often it terrifies us too. One of my favorite songs out right now is by Matthew West. And I always forget the title of it. But it's basically about how when we're asked, how are you doing? We always say, we're doing good. We're doing all right. Right? We don't even think about it often. It's just, it just rolls off the tongue. That's what we're doing. And the song is, is, but that's a lie. Because most of us aren't doing all right. Most of us have something happening in our lives where we're not all right. We, we are healing from something or, or we're growing out of something or we're, or we're just becoming a better Christian, but we're not necessarily all right. But we have this idea that we have to act like we got it all together. You can't make a mistake or then you're just in trouble. And I mean, I don't make mistakes, but I guess that's really hard for you guys, right? (laughs) Just kidding. My wife will tell you I make lots of mistakes. Don't ask her though. Anyway. Right? That's, there is a fear to the idea that we have to, we don't want people to necessarily know we're hurting or we're broken or that we've messed up. And we're Christians and we know it's okay to like 
heal through that. If you don't know that, if you don't believe that there is hope, can you imagine the fear and despair and the hopelessness that sits with people in the darkness? And they're terrified that if they come out of the darkness and into the light, that they, they're going to be judged and they're going to be told how wicked they are. But Jesus didn't come to stand there in the light and tell people as they came into the light, man, you are a wreck. You are trash. You are horrible. I can't believe what you did. No, he stood in the light and he held out his hands with holes in them and he says, come to me. It's okay to be in the light. It's okay to be free. It's okay to be saved. It's okay to not have to be tied down by what's in the darkness. That is the hope we have as Christians. That is the hope that we are about to celebrate on Easter Sunday because it signifies, it is the moment that life changed. Because before that, there wasn't complete hope. There was a shadow of hope, and that was the law, and it was a broken hope. But when Christ came and He died on the cross and He rose from the the grave, He glorified that completion of the hope that comes with a belief in Him. And we have been given that gift. Everybody has. And now that we know we've been given that gift, I mean, we all know that, right? We know that we've been given that gift. We've accepted that gift. Now here's the thing. God's ready to send you out just like He sent Jesus. He wants to send you out into a community that is still in the darkness. They're still wallowing in it. They don't understand. They have no idea which way to even go to get out of the darkness. And we have the job, we have the mission, we have the opportunity to take the hope that we have received through Christ Jesus, and go and show them that we're not here to condemn them in their brokenness and in their garbage, but instead we are here to love them, to help them through it, to help them find a place of healing, and ultimately to come to a place of trust and belief in Jesus Christ. That's our mission. That's our mission this Easter, and then that's the mission you have for the rest of your life. So the day you die, that's your mission. Settle in. Get used to it. That's what we ought to be doing. Right? I believe wholeheartedly that if we, as a church, would actively become participants in that mission, because we do that sometimes. We, we will have great spurts where we, we really get into a relationship with somebody and we see a lot of growth and, and there's this like real active moment. But often it's just sort of not always at the forefront of our minds to be about that. But if we did, if we, if we made that our mission to always be purposeful in that, I believe that our little church here in Placerville could change Placerville. We could change it. We could, Help bring the light into Placerville. We could change El Dorado County. We could, we could even change Sacramento. And now by the power of the interwebs, we could change the world. We joke about it, but we could. God could. I mean, he could use, he could use this this video to go out and to transform somebody's life in Tennessee. And we wouldn't have any idea about it. 
but they would, and that's awesome. If that happens, go find a church where you live. Get connected. Okay. We are, we are blessed with the opportunity to be part of this. Now, here's what I think is really important. It's important for us to realize, and I think the reason that this is sort of at the end of the Nicodemus story is that we have to understand that it is, it's not an instantaneous thing all the time. We don't normally have a conversation with a coworker or somebody at the store or at a, you know, wherever we meet people nowadays with COVID. We don't normally have conversations with them and all of a sudden it's just like this, oh yeah, I totally didn't know anything about Jesus, but now I love him and I want to believe in him. It doesn't normally happen that way, right? I think it's important that in the story of Nicodemus, Nicodemus doesn't have this aha moment with Jesus where he instantly starts believing and is transformed. Nicodemus goes away from this story still not sure what's happening. Still wondering and questioning. And it isn't until after the death and resurrection of Jesus that it becomes clear to Nicodemus what he was supposed to be doing. Like Nicodemus had to work his way there. And he does. Uh, he, we know that Nicodemus sort of follows the career of Jesus. Uh, he's not an, an active disciple of Jesus, but he's an, what we would consider a follower of Jesus and knew what was happening with Jesus. It's the same thing with the people that we should be interacting with in our lives. We should understand that it takes time. Because imagine if your greatest fear, whatever that is, maybe it's spiders, maybe it's snakes or after the sermon, it might be snakes. If Whatever your greatest fear is, imagine if somebody came to you and said, listen, you don't have to be afraid of that. Let's go do whatever it is. Let's, let me put a bunch of spiders on you and you won't be afraid because there's hope. No way. <laughs> it would never happen for me. That's what somebody who lives in the darkness and is afraid of the light is like. They can't just jump in. But if I... Can't, if we come along with somebody and we create a relationship, we love them, we accept them, and we we begin having conversations with them, and and slowly those conversations begin to be conversations about faith, and and you begin to express your faith, and then they hopefully will have questions, and all of a sudden you have brought them from a place of total fear to a place of interest and potential trust. Our district superintendent gave an amazing story last week about how he has a relationship like that with a guy that he has, like, who has, they're totally different in their belief systems right now. But he is working on bringing that person to a place where they might be ready to make a change. That, it's a process. It's a process that we have to be committed to, to walk with somebody on. The thing that I think is so great is that the state of condemnation isn't a state of permanency. You know, we're the ones who condemn ourselves because we don't believe. When we don't believe, it's not God who stands there in judgment and says, hey, you're wrong. We, we put, bring the condemnation on ourselves. But it's not a, a permanent situation. At any moment, that can change when we make a choice of belief in Christ Jesus. And for every person out there, you have the opportunity to make a choice 
to move one step closer to understanding who Christ is and, and to understand who His, how He loves you and how He wants to save you from the brokenness and bring you to a place of healing and fullness. And we have the responsibility to have conversations and relationships to help people get there. So here's our mission for this Easter. Our mission is to go out and as best you can in our COVID world, make relationships with people who don't know Jesus. And for some of us, that will be really easy because we work with a bunch of people who don't know Jesus or we might have family that doesn't know Jesus. For others... Everybody we know is connected to Jesus or the church. So it might be a little bit more hard, more, more hard, more difficult for you to find somebody like that. But I encourage you to, to just, I'm starting a a thing at a gym, which I wasn't going to share this, but I have made a point of every person I have met at the gym so far of trying to find out, well, one, who they are, but then Two, are they connected to a church somewhere? I've made it my mission. Uh, this gym is my plan is to be my mission field in a sense. And so find something like that. Find somewhere that you could connect in a different way than you have maybe in the past. And if and if this is if you're watching this out there on the interwebs and and you're, you're working your way through this and trying to figure this out. Maybe this is the first time you're hearing this, or maybe you've heard about this Jesus and that's why you're watching the video. Sorry, I'm talking past you guys now to the camera. I encourage you to keep asking questions. I encourage you to read the Bible, read the book of John. I encourage you to find a church wherever you're located. If you're in Placerville, our church is awesome. (laughs) But if you're not, find one where you're at. And if if you're at a place right now where you're like, I think I get it. And I I want to I want to make that that change from a place of condemnation to a place of freedom, then I want you to pray with me right now. And you'd You could pray this in your mind as I pray it, but just pray with me right now. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, for his death and his resurrection that brings me hope. I thank you that right now, as I confess my trust and belief in your Son, Jesus Christ, that right now you are forgiving me of my sins and you are removing all condemnation that I have in my life. Thank you for that. Thank you for the freedom. Continue to work in me. Continue to bring me to a healing place. In your name we pray. Amen. Now go find a church and get connected and continue to grow in that. For those of us 
who have already been part of the church for so long. We can't be like the Israelites who get too comfortable. We have to be willing to be sent into the uncomfortable spaces like they were so that we can bring God's light and love to a world who doesn't know anything about it. And then when we celebrate Easter, we can celebrate knowing that new people are celebrating for the first time. Maybe it's not this Easter, maybe it's next Easter or the Easter after that, but we get to celebrate those things. So let's go do that, all right? Will you pray with me? Lord, we love you. We thank you that you gave us your son. And you give us your grace and forgiveness. Thank you that you sent him to a world who hated you. So that we can be set free from all the bondage. We thank you for our church. We thank you for the mission to go out and to be sent ourselves. Father, I pray that you will give us the courage to go boldly forward. Maybe it's only one step at a time, but give us that courage because we know that you go before us. We know that you come behind us. We know that you walk beside us. Give us the words to speak to those in our lives who need to hear your love and the message of your grace and forgiveness. We trust you. We love you. Help our church to be an active participant in bringing your love and your grace to our community and even to the larger community. Lord, we want your will in everything we do. Continue to transform us. Continue to help us be more like you. In your holy name we pray. Amen. I hope you guys have a great week. You're dismissed.